Well, good morning, church. Welcome to another week of Providence Online Service. Grateful that you are here tuning in with us to open up God's Word and to have uh, the Word of God shape our hearts and our minds uh, here this morning. And so we are going to be continuing in our series in Romans chapter 8. We we are on our uh, ninth sermon in Romans 8. Last week, we took a little break and we, we looked at the chief end of man. And so um, we are going to be jumping back in in one of... Um, one of the greatest verses in all of the Bible. I think it's uh, one of the verses that when you become a Christian, I don't know how it happens, but it's almost like just osmoses into you. You just sort of know it and, uh, and you hold it dear because it is a uh, glorious, tremendous, wonderful, hope-filled verse. And so um, we're only going to be in one verse this morning, but I don't want to just read one. I'll give us a little bit of context. I'm going to read 27 through 30, and we're going to camp out in Romans 8, 28. Uh, we'll, be, we'll start in um, 27. Um, Apostle Paul says this, And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. And so this morning, we're going to be focusing on that Romans 8, 28 that says, um, for we know that those who love God, God, for those who love God, all things work together for good. That's an incredible verse. And so Romans 8.28, if you remember, uh, as we've been looking at this chapter, really taking a deep dive, just savoring every word in Romans 8, is this section is in the context of comfort. Paul's talking about what comforts we have as believers. And he's talking in a broader context of our security in Christ, that we are secure, that our salvation uh, was given to us by Jesus, it is kept by Jesus, it is secured by his blood, and that we are his forever uh, through faith by the finished work of Christ in the cross. And so our salvation is secure. There's no condemnation now for those who are in Christ. And now living here in this world that we find ourselves in, Paul was talking about in the previous verses, the comforts that we have as Christians. And uh, so we have a new heart, we have a new mind, we have uh, new affections, and we have these comforts in the world in that we, we live in. And so... Um, the last few weeks, uh, we've been looking at how secure we are in Christ because Christ has achieved all that we could not uh, for ourselves. And so he keeps it and he secures it. And we are now heirs as sons and daughters with the future glory of the kingdom to come one day. So we have a great hope and comfort that one day we will be with him in glory forever. So... Um, that is a tremendous hope that we have. 
But Paul kind of stops for a minute and he says, yes, we are secure in our future one day glory that will be with him. But he says, until that glory comes, until we are with him face to face fully, uh, we now in the everyday, in our ever present realities in the world and the lives in which we lead in this world, uh, Paul reminds us that we are not exempt from suffering. So yes, we have a great future hope, but right now in between, it said, in between the cross and the crown, right? In between uh, when Jesus died and we, and we will one day go be with him in glory in heaven, in between the cross and the crown, uh, we suffer. In between our salvation and our glorification would be another way to think about it. We walk through um, the veil of tears, so to speak. And so Paul's given us two comforts uh, as we walk through the world in which we live today. Um, and we have, first, uh, the wonderful comfort of our gospel hope that we will one day be with him, that Jesus will one day make all things new, that there will be no more tears, that there will be no more pain, that there will be no more sickness one day when we are with him, and that hope is secure and it's ours, and so we have a great gospel hope because of Jesus. And this body of death that we have, this body of flesh, will one day be conformed and changed to one of glory with him. So that is a great gospel hope that Paul reminds us in Acts, or I'm sorry, in Romans chapter 8, to cling to our gospel hope. And then two weeks ago, we saw another comfort. We saw um, this, this tremendous comfort that wasn't, uh, wasn't just a hope of one day us being with him, which that is a wonderful, tremendous hope. But he says, well, right now, um, Paul says that, that you have been sent by God, the Holy Spirit of God, to live with you, to be with you, and to be your helper in this world in which we live today. So we have the comfort of a gospel hope, and we have a great comfort of the Holy Spirit of God guiding us, leading us, convicting us of sin, showing us the way, illumining our path of where to go. And so we have the, the comfort of the helper of the Holy Spirit in this life in which we lead today, which we walk through in the context of suffering and pain and sometimes hardship. And so we learned that we're not orphans. It's, we're not just left here alone to figure it out, but God has given to us his very best in the Holy Spirit. And now... Today, in our text that we just read, we're gonna be looking at the final comfort that he's gonna to talk to us about. And um, this comfort, we're gonna take two weeks to look at because it is, um, you could spend 20 years looking at this and not, and not fully mine the riches that are in this. But we're gonna spend a couple of weeks because it's so rich and it's so good. And this final comfort that Paul is going to say as we're living life, as we're walking through um, this life that God has called us to lead here today, uh, he says this final comfort is the sovereignty of God. The sovereignty of of God, and it means that, that no matter what happens in between the cross and the crown, no matter what happens, no matter what takes place in between our salvation and our one day going to be with him face to face, God is in total control. 
He is in charge. He is not surprised. He is not taken off guard. He is not blindsided by anything. Though we are, he is not. The sovereignty of God is a tremendous comfort right now in this life in which we lead. And so what does this mean practically? Um, it, it means that when the MRI comes back with results that we never dreamed we would have to read or hear, we can be okay because God is in control. It means when the biopsy comes back, it means when a spouse betrays me, it means uh, when my kids run off the rails and do this or do that and I cannot believe they're doing this and I've taught them better, it means when there's an economic collapse and I don't understand where my next paycheck is going to come from, it means when we fight injustice and we can't seem to win, it means... um, When there's a global pandemic and we don't know what to believe or we don't know what's truth and what's false and what's scare tactics and what's real and what's political pandering and what's also health concerns, when we're just flooded with uncertainties and fears, uh, when we don't know which way is up, and also when we suffer for our faith, when we're persecuted for trusting Jesus. Romans 8, 28 tells us that we have comfort, even in those places. Even in those places. That even though we don't know what tomorrow holds, we know who holds on to our tomorrow. Uh, That is a tremendous comfort. I have to remind myself of that all the time. Uh, And when I do, it calms my racing heart. Uh, It calms my racing thoughts of what's going to happen tomorrow, the next day, six months from now, and I can rest and sit in the comfort of God knowing that he has not been taken by surprise. I am his and he is mine, no matter where I find myself. And so we have a gospel hope, Romans 8 tells us. We have a helper in the Holy Spirit. In the Romans 8, 28, our text this morning is that we have a comfort that God is sovereign, that God is on the throne. Um, And that is very, very good news. He is the ruler. He has a plan. Catch this. He is not always pleased, but he is never puzzled. He's not always pleased, but he is never perplexed. So we can rest in even what we don't know. Um, Even if it means our death, even facing that scary unknown, we can rest. Because Jesus is in control. He's our sovereign king. Um, well, this text, I'm going to make a couple of points. Uh, verse, verses 28 through 30 has a lot going on in it. We're just going to hit really the first thing this morning, and then we're going to hit two more points next week, all in the sovereignty of God. Uh, and the first thing is this, and it's that verse that we read, is that um, all things work together for good, Romans 8, 28 tells us all things work together for 
good. So let me make a point real quick right here at the outset. Um, Does Paul say here that all things are good? No, we've got to be careful. He doesn't say, um, church, all things are good. We're not Christian scientists. We're not Christian science, uh, meaning that uh, we think there is, there's no such thing as the presence of evil. Um, all things are not good. Uh, read the scriptures, uh, open the news. All things are not good. Jesus wept, right? But, Paul says, the Bible teaches, all things work together for good. That is a great comfort. Um, God is um, like the composer. He orchestrates every single note in a, um, in a beautiful piece of music uh, that is composed. There are... Um, major notes and minor notes. There are sharps and flats. There are um, soaring melodies that are just lift up your heart and there are heartbreaking notes and um, tones and things that make you feel deep sadness, right? But Uh, the composer puts them all together on purpose so that it produces something ultimately good. God, um, in the Bible, as the Bible describes the character of God, the power of God, the nature of God, is that he is the composer of all things in our lives, in our world, so he can take the minor notes that seems sad and pull on our hearts and make us weep. And he can take the major notes that resolve and uh, make us smile and dance. And he puts them all together in his perfect timing, in his perfect way, and creates a beautiful symphony, a beautiful uh, composition uh, that he makes on purpose. That is a great comfort that even in the dull notes, God is in control. Even in the sad notes, God is in control. Even in the glorious good notes, the mountaintop notes that make us smile and dance, God is in control. In a tapestry, in the same way, you have bright colors um, that make you smile, And you have shades of gray um, that are dark and shadowy. Um, But God is the artist. God paints it. uh, And he knows what he's doing. And so when evil things occur, um, and they do, um, they may not and they are not good. But if you wait we will see where they fit in to the composition, to the symphony, ultimately, for our good and for the glory of God. In God's economy, though we cannot reconcile it, we cannot understand it, it, we are like... um, we are like ants looking at Everest, trying to understand this doctrine. Uh, But we know it's true because God's word gives it to us. And so we trust it. And when we begin to trust it and we lean on it, 
Paul says it is a tremendous comfort. It is a tremendous comfort. It sounds not possible. Uh, I can't quite figure it out. I can't, I can't make all the lines connect in my mind. But God doesn't seem to have a problem with it in his economy. So we know it's true. So we know it's true. How do we know that that can be true? That the minor notes and the major notes God orchestrates for good, ultimately. Where do we see that in the Bible? Is that true or is that just kind of a, um, a lofty, is that wishful thinking? Well, catch this. Um, what, was the, what was and what will always be the worst act that ever occurred in human history? Uh, as we read the scriptures, the very worst act that ever occurred in human history was the rejection, the torture, the crucifixion, and the murder of the Son of God. Right? I mean... I can't think of a worst, a worse moment in history. The Savior, God's only begotten Son, perfect, not guilty, um, all-powerful, all-knowing, good, righteous, true, was put on a cross and killed. The worst moment in all of human history. Church, what was the greatest moment in all of human history? What is the best act that ever occurred? In all of human history, the rejection, the torture, the crucifixion, and the murder of the Son of God. Why? Because in the plan of God, he brought home wayward sons and daughters, you and I, for the good and glory of God. The sovereignty of God is most visibly seen in Jesus our Lord. It's hard for us to understand it, but that is the moment we celebrate the most. We wear crosses on our necks, um, an instrument of torture and death that we give our hope, our, our human hope for, that we celebrate. But you have to give it time. Um, often I've learned in life and I'm sure I'll learn it more and more the older I get. Um, sometimes you have to wait on God. Um, so things are not always good. But God has great purpose. Um, it's called in theology, his decree, right? That history is going somewhere. That the decree of God is something that he speaks and he knows and he is in control. That he speaks and that even all of history is going somewhere. And the psalmist says that all things are his servants. That all of us, every created thing, everything uh, that God made and breathed into existence are his servants. Redeemed or not. He is in control. He is in great control. Um, second thing I want to look at, last thing uh, here this morning, is that it says, <clears throat> excuse me, it says, all things work together for good. All things. All. What does that mean? 
It means that God is sovereign comprehensively over all things. So that word sovereign, when we think about it, it's, it's this idea of total rule and reign. The sovereignty of God is, is uh, the theological word for uh, the, the reign and rule and decree of God over all made things, over, all, um, over everything. And so it says all things. Uh, and this is consistent in our entire Bible. This isn't just like one little pet verse that is extracted out. How do we know this? Is because we have verses like rejoice always. In everything, give thanks. This is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Meaning if it happened in time and in space, God is behind it. Ephesians, giving thanks for all things in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. When we look at the life of Joseph in the Old Testament, Joseph's given a vision that his, in his life he will, um, he will rule and his brothers will serve him and he will be a great ruler. <clears throat> what happens to Joseph? He's rejected by his brothers. He's sold into Egyptian slavery with an illegal rap on Potiphar's wife. He's put into prison. Even the guy in prison whom he helps out forgets all about him and leaves him. Everything looks bad. Everything looks bleak. But Psalm 105 gives us perspective on the life of Joseph. And it says that the word of God tested Joseph until the time when God's word came to pass. He had to wait. Um, Joseph, do you trust me that I'm going to take care of you even in the midst of this trial? All of it worked together for good. All of it. You meant it for evil, God meant it for good. Moses, uh, you're gonna be a deliverer of your people. You're gonna save your people from suffering. But as soon as you're born, um, they're gonna wanna kill you. And the daughter of the man who wants you dead the most actually finds you and brings you into her home. Does that look bad? It looks really bad. It looks bleak. It looks grim. But Moses, you wait on me. You wait on me. Though Israel rejects you, you wait on me. All things work together for good. The apostle Paul says, God will deliver me from every evil deed and bring me safely into his kingdom. And he says, I will not perish until God says it is the time for my departure. God gets that final word. God will deliver me. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, God will ultimately be my redeemer and his timing is perfect, though I don't understand it. Simon Peter, remember this? Satan has demanded permission, speaking, Jesus speaking, to sift you like wheat. Meaning, Satan, the great accuser, can't do anything unless he comes and asks God himself. And Satan, the accuser, wants to sift you and I. Um, and the troubling part about that, that story of Simon Peter is that Jesus doesn't say, and you know what, I'm not going to let it happen. I won't let Satan sift you like wheat. He, he lets it happen. He gives him permission 
But here's the comfort that Jesus gives to you and I. I'm gonna pray for you, that your faith remain, and that you stand firm in your faith, and that you persevere. And in the sifting like wheat, you will be formed. Your character will be formed. You will be sharpened. You will um, get grit. You will be able to walk through the valley of the shadow of death, knowing that thy rod and thy staff guide you and comfort you. That's story after story after story after story in our Bible. That's not the answer we like to hear, though. We like to hear that everything's going to be healthy, wealthy, and wise. Um, but oftentimes, Jesus looks at us and says, I'm praying for you, uh, that your faith will hold and that you'll stand fast and that you won't falter. And you're not doing it alone because you have the Spirit of God, you have the great hope, and you know that I'm in control. And uh, I'm forming something in you greater than you can imagine. So stand tall, stand strong. You have a great legacy. You have a great hope. We have a great gospel heritage. Um, I'm gonna pray that you will be better walking out of it for your good and the glory of God. That church is sovereignty. Um, It happened to Jesus. Jesus, the son of God, the time when he was born, it was said, you will save your people from their sins. Remember the angels, glory to God in the highest and peace on earth and goodwill toward good men. And yet, Jesus, you are betrayed, you are rejected, you are lied about, you are crucified. And yet, all of that happened to our Lord by the predetermined plan and foreknowledge of God, the Bible tells us. All things work together. This is the wisdom of God. His ways are higher than our ways. But this is a, this is a great comfort for us, church. Um, if you never think about the sovereignty of God, um, that, is a, that is a warm blanket at night that we need the most. Or that's a bad example in the middle of a 200 degree Houston weather. That is a um, uh, really, really strong air conditioning and a really hot day, right? It's comforting. It's so comforting. Um. And I found in my time in ministry that a lot of us, some of us more so than others, have walked through some extremely difficult things. I've cried with many of you about them. Um, I pray for you often when I think about them. You are or have walked through some extremely difficult things. Um, we get stretched in life, don't we? None of us gets uh, a pass. Some of us, to a greater degree than others, walk through hardship and suffering. Um, every, every one of us walks through this. None of us are exempt from this. And I guarantee you this. Every man and woman, woman in life 
when you talk to them. Talk to our older saints in the faith. When you ask them what is most significant in their life, what was most shaping in their life, what was most galvanizing in their life, none of them will point to bounty and blessing as that which shaped them the most. No one will. I have never met anyone that said this. You know what shaped me the most? Uh, I received a tremendous inheritance uh, and I just sort of lived on that and that was the most shaping, greatest thing that ever happened to me. I've never heard that story. Every great story, every heroic story, every good story is marked through suffering and it forms you and it shapes you and it grounds you and it gives us grit and it helps us trust things beyond just ourselves. That's the sovereignty of God. That's how God has written it. Now, um, quick example. I hear this a lot and I'll be done. Um, I'm here in my home. I love, I love my house. Um, I love my blurry bookshelves in the back here. And, uh, but if I came home tomorrow uh, and everything was burned down, that would be a very bad day indeed. I would weep, I would be sad, I would weep even more if anything were to happen to any of my loved ones uh, in a tragic fire. Uh, it would be awful, it would be bad, it would be sad. As Christians, what I don't want us to do is this, um, as we relate to one another in life and in hardship and in suffering. Don't walk up to me and say this. And don't walk up to your friends and say this. Well, you know what? Accidents happen. Uh, I'm really sorry about that. It was just an accident. It, there's, it was just accidents happen. We think that that is so helpful in the moment, but it's not. It's putting a Band-Aid on something that is not true. And when I wake up the next day and I think this, well, accidents happened, well, if that's true, then my life is at the whim of a spark and in a fire. And God's not really in control. That the universe is, is governed by fire. I'm at the mercy of someone else when they cross that yellow line and has had way too much to drink and plows into the car, right? Is that person in control of our realities? Accidents happen. That doesn't help me. That doesn't help me at all. Drunks don't control the universe. You just told me in that statement that accidents happen, that God is not in charge. You told me that the guy that had the fifth of scotch is in charge. You told me that sparks of fire are in charge and they're random and it's an accident. That your kid is sick and that viruses are in charge. And God's God doesn't operate like this. He doesn't, when we get up there and see him, he's not going to say, man, I had really great plans for your life, but that cancer thing, that really threw me for a loop. That virus thing really caught me off guard. I had wonderful plans for you, um, but the alcoholic that decided to jump in a car, I didn't see that coming. I, I, I don't know what to think about that. That's not a help to us. 
Um, that leaves us in despair. The Apostle Paul in Romans 8.28 is saying this, nothing happens outside of the providence of God. Nothing. Um, even those things that are horrible, but in the plan and in the foreknowledge of God, they can somehow, someday, work together for good. Do I understand it? No. Um, can I trust him? Yes. Um, because God is moving and God is in control even in the minor notes. And I can live with that. I can find even hope in that, that life isn't random, um, that it's not just to make sure you're careful enough and you'll get through it. No, God's in control. God has you. He's looking out for you. He knows what's best, even when I don't understand. That's the position of the Bible all over the place. We're going to dive in more next week. We're going to look at these words like predestined. Uh, we're going to look at words like foreknowledge. We're going to say, what does this really mean? Um, but Paul says that for now, uh, we, we suffer, but we have tremendous comfort. Why? Because we know that for those who love God, all things Maybe you need to say that over and over and over again every day when you wake up. That all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. Church, God is sovereign. Um, my life and your life are under the shadow of the providence of God. So we, That's why we named our church that. That's the idea that guides us, that grounds us, and gives us tremendous, tremendous comfort. God is sovereign in our lives. His providence is real. His decree is good. He's leading us. He's moving us. We can trust him. We have hope in him. Um, and he floods our hearts with comfort because of Romans 8.28 is true. Let's pray together, church. Lord, we thank you. Um, for your great care. Lord, we thank you that we are not left at random. Lord, we thank you that you are in control, that you move, that you lead, that you guide, um, that nothing happens outside of your providence and care and decree. And so this morning, God, would you shape our hearts to begin to trust you in the places that it's hard for us. Lord, may we let go of our control and say, God, we trust you most fully. Lord, for those of us that are struggling right now with this very idea, would you just press the word of God into our hearts and minds, and would you mold us and shape us into your image, that our hearts would line up with your heart with regard to who you are, how you work, and where you're leading, and would we um, move in kind? Would we get behind you? Would your spirit comfort? Would your sovereignty comfort? And our great hope would be rooted in the gospel. I love you in Jesus' name, amen.